Hello and welcome back to Lower Decks, a Star Trek Discovery podcast by Clay Temple Media. I'm Glenn McDormand, and man, do I have a hankering for a three-egg white burrito with black beans this morning. <laughs> it's very nutritious. Yeah, it has the right balance of protein and carbs, much better than that uh, green juice I was going to drink. <laughs> and I'm Valerie Hoagland, and I actually, I don't have a funny thing to say. I have a Star Trek-related thing I'm really excited about. Is that okay? Well, usually I'm the one who is struggling to be funny, so I, th I think it's fine for you to get a break. <laughs> Great. Thanks. I just found out last night that Michael Chabon is being brought on as an executive producer, maybe writer for uh, whatever thing is coming from this Picard reprise. Do you know Michael Chabon? Of, of course. Yes. He wrote uh, uh, Cavalier and Clay, which is a, a yeah. beautiful book. Uh, I, I, I guess I had seen this a few weeks ago because uh, Patrick Stewart had tweeted out a photograph in which uh, Michael Chabon was, was present. Uh, they said they were in the writer's room, though it all looked like they were watching a sporting event together, probably a Huddersfield <laughs> match. Uh, but it, that was awesome to see. That's, that makes me very exciting because I think he's a, a fantastic writer. He also likes baseball, which is a you know fine Star Trek tradition. You know, that's not what I love about him, but I'll let you have it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I know he's a Pulitzer Prize winning author and his fiction has been really meaningful to me personally. So I'm excited to have him join the team. Yeah, his presence will really help. It'll make whatever it is they end up doing great. But of course, secretly, maybe not so secretly, because I'm about to say it out loud, I'm hoping that this is going to mean we're going to get to see Patrick Stewart have to pretend to play baseball on screen in a holodeck or something. Uh, we'll see what the odds are. Uh, well, together, we run a speakeasy in the Jeffries tubes, and all this baseball talk has me uh, eager for a beer that, that, will, that we'll have to wait till after we're done talking about the episode today. And what are we talking about today? Today, we are back. Welcome back listeners with more Star Trek Discovery. It, the time flew, but specifically we're talking about the Short Treks episode, Runaway. This episode was written by Jenny Lumet and Alex Kurtzman, and it was directed by Maya Vervilo. Maybe we should just take a second for people who don't go on the internet and are wondering why we're popping up in their feed and say, what's a short trek, Glenn? So the Star Trek Discovery producers decided to do four mini episodes, four short episodes prior to the second season of Discovery coming back. They're going to be standalone stories, and we're getting two of them with characters we already know. Uh, this first one here with Tilly, I think that's kind of obvious. We've met her before. There will be another one with Mud, uh, Rain Wilson reprising his role as Mud. That'll be exciting. Uh, and then sandwiched in between them are going to be two episodes with uh, characters we haven't met before. And I think the expectation is that these are going to serve as kind of uh, backdoor pilots uh, or uh, screen testing some characters to see if uh, they might be worthy of uh, having their own show developed around them. Uh, so that will be exciting as well. You know, for me, it serves the purpose of we get more Trek sooner, which is always fun. I believe they've announced that we're going to be back with our regular episodes of Discovery in January 2019. Is that correct? It is still no specific date, uh, but one of these short tracks is airing, I think, the first week of January, so we know it'll be after that. And I I'm, think I'm kind of assuming it will be immediately the week after that, but still no firm date. You know, it's also a way for CBS to, to keep people interested in their platform before Discovery comes back on air. Yeah, I was always a little bit worried about how long they were going to be taking between the first and second seasons. So I'm glad that we are getting Star Trek content here before 2019. I think that was a, a, a smart 
a smart move to to keep casual fans interested in the show. I don't know if I'm a casual fan. I think I talk about it way too much at parties to call myself that. <laughs> but can we get into it? Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this one and, and see what you think. Uh, there's, you know, it's a short episode. It's short trek, so not quite as many scenes, but still a lot packed into this 15 minutes. So let's just get into it. We open with an establishing shot of the Discovery exterior, and then we we pan over the the top of the ship all the way to the the back where we see the open cargo bay where people are at work. They're preparing for a standard decontamination, is what the computer voice says. And of course, you know we've come to expect these types of beautiful shots from Discovery, but it has been seven months since I've seen it, so I was pretty thrilled by this opening. There was a little bit of slow clapping going on while this was on screen. The establishing shot, as always, is just gorgeous. And particularly the backdrop of the stars was so striking and clear and beautiful. So I I did. I really I enjoyed remembering that this is something Discovery gives us. And it just looks very cool with the the, the movement where it's all one seamless motion over the ship and then into the ship. Uh, I think that was just beautiful, very exciting. And we immediately get into what is happening in the cargo bay. So Uh, It's going to be decontaminated. And because of that, the crew all leave. And then we're left watching an empty room, watching this empty cargo bay uh, that has now the lights dimmed. And we pause on this stillness for a few seconds. And then a crate begins to open up on its own. And this alien hand reaches out and, and this visual is accompanied by some some monster noises the uh the the subtitles uh, or the captioning when i put it on uh describe this as chittering and i think that's probably the the right name for it it really reminded me of the smoke monster in lost and the best thing about that noise is the smoke monster in lost is literally just taxi cab receipts printing that, that is the, where they got that sound. <laughs> so <laughs> when I first moved to New York, I was like, there are smoke monsters everywhere. What is going on? Where someday we're going to hear this monstrous chittering uh, in some, some at a coffee shop or something, but suddenly be, be very terrified. And this is a really scary scene here, right? This hand uh, cuts itself on a bolt or something like that. And there's this, this bright orange blood that splashes on the floor that we zoom in on. And it all feels like the beginning of a, you know, a pretty good horror movie. This is, you know, kind of the spirit, very condensed, but but the spirit of this this opener and of this short trek is kind of this episodic monster of the week trek vibe that that I, you know, said a lot that I felt was missing from the first season of Discovery. So I was excited. And this is this episode. It really is a self-contained story. It's really kind of the first 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 iteration we really get of that in the in the Discovery era. Yeah. And, you know, something else that was really on my mind um, during this opening scene that isn't related to scary monsters or cute queens is just how much I miss Majel Barrett Roddenberry's voice as the computer. It really feels like something is missing, that the universe isn't quite real or quite complete without the sound of her voice making these announcements. It's true that that feels like the one bit of unbreakable continuity through all of these iterations of Trek. It, it is it is sad that she was not able to participate in this project. Yeah, her presence is is deeply felt and sorely missed. But back to this shot, 
one of the things that's cool about what the computer is telling us is it's telling us there's a shift change. We're keeping with this lower decks thing because we don't hear a lot of computers announcing, hey, cargo bay people, your shift's over, get out of here. You know, this was kind of a fun little thing. In just two scenes, we're actually going to get a real sense of the the 24-hour, the daily rhythm of the ship. And I do really love this about Discovery, that we are seeing so much more about people like us, what we would be up to on the ship and what our lives would be like. And I love that so much. And the, the next scene, actually, we are the, we're going to get to see the inside of Tilly's quarters. Because Tilly is there hanging out. She is on the hollow phone with her mom. Uh, her mom seems to be more interested in talking about Tilly stepsister than in listening to anything that Tilly actually has to say about her own life. She's critical of Tilly's coffee consumption, which is pretty rude. Uh, But more importantly, (laughs) she seems to think that Tilly shouldn't do the command training program because she'll probably just get scared and run away. Uh, This is all pretty awful. Not a supportive mother. I still have so many questions about the holophone, but I'm going to let it go for the purpose of this episode today, Glenn, just for you. Even though I don't know how the holophone works, it's cool. But but yeah, so it's probably important to say, right, that when we last saw Tilly, she was, you know, um, fast-tracked, I guess, to be able to join this command training program based on, you know, everything that had happened in our first season. And now we're joining her, I presume, at the very beginning of that. Um, maybe it hasn't quite started yet or it's just started. And Tilly is really struggling with, feelings of inadequacy, of not having enough experience and not feeling ready for it. And her mother is is not making that better, but does allow Tilly to kind of have a way to argue with that little voice in herself. She gets to argue with her mom and say, you know, I think maybe I could do this. Yeah, it's almost a it's almost a complete 180 from how confident and poised we have seen Tilly, especially at the end of the first season of Discovery. But even when she is telling people she's going to be captain someday and she's going to be a great captain, it is. I like the way that you put it in that her mother is someone she can talk to about this. But I also sort of see this as an example of how her mother brings out these feelings of inadequacy and incompetence and a lack of of confidence that uh, she and her mom were just doing their monthly chat and in, in the process of telling her mom what's going on in her life her mom's little criticisms start to give her this self-doubt again that was my sense of it anyway no completely i think it serves the function of Tilly getting to kind of externalize an inner monologue, right? But I think she has landed more on the confident side and her mother's bringing her back a little bit. And, you know, we've all had this kind of a phone call, right? Where you're feeling okay and then a family member uh, makes you feel five again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is what this is what cocktails are for, right? <laughs> And Over the holidays? Yeah, oh, especially. And in fact, that's kind of exactly what we see happen. After this conversation, uh, Tilly has to scream into a pillow, but then she heads straight to the, the galley. She does not order a cocktail, uh, which is unfortunate. Discovery definitely needs a bar. And, uh, you know, we might be uh, might be willing to take on the job of running the bar if they were ever to open one. But I mean, what- <laughs> under the right conditions. You play hard to get. Well, well, I won't. I've already signed the contract. I was going to tell you about that at the end of the episode, but we're going to space. Well, Tilly 
perhaps more sensibly, perhaps not, orders a quadruple espresso with milk alternative, which does sound about right to me. Uh, But of course, the computer gives her some grief about it. The computer says ill-advised, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting, you know, because we've mentioned in um, some of our recent Patreon episodes that we're both watching Enterprise right now. So to be back in a world where replicators can be so sassy and do so much was really fun. Yeah, it was really great. And of course, the semester has started. And with the beginning of each academic year, my coffee consumption increases exponentially every week. So when the computer says ill-advised that much caffeine, uh, it just felt like it was speaking to me. And when Tilly cuts the computer off and says, that amount of caffeine is my best friend. It just it just <laughs> felt right. It felt like these lines were coming from my heart. I 100% agree, especially because my academic year seems to never end. So I live perpetually in this state. Yeah, you don't get any period to detox. I get I get at least a month to detox, which is important. I choose not to, Glenn. I choose not to. Yeah, well, it's probably probably better that way. Well, <laughs> Well, Tilly goes and sits alone at a table with her coffee, and there is no one else in the galley. Uh, Before she drinks this coffee, she says, I will remember to expect nothing, even from this espresso. And I, I can't tell if this is a healthy attitude or if this is a sign of profound sadness. I think it might be both. I mean, we need more information, I think, to really come to a conclusion there. But what the scene said to me, and it felt like it was trying to remind us of, is that even in the face of great adversity and an alter ego that likes to kill people, Tilly remains positive. She can always recenter herself. And I felt like she was saying, Tilly, you're going to be fine. You know, let go of your expectations of yourself and of this coffee and just do what you need to do. And it felt like it was Tilly reminding us, you know, to take care of ourselves and bring it back to a positive place. And probably also to not expect anything from her mother, to not expect any support (laughs) from her mother, right? I I felt like sometimes the espresso is actually your mother. (laughs) Okay, well... uh, you know, Glenn, off air, you and I can talk about what's going on there for you. Um, I felt more like she was talking about the command training program, you know, like don't put so many high expectations on yourself. They're just going to freak you out and get in the way. Just like do this thing that you're doing. Release yourself from the fear. And I think she even tells the espresso, I release you from my expectations. So I think that's fair. And just yesterday, while I was watching this episode, it actually was my mother's birthday and we had a very delightful chat. So Hi, mom. Okay, sure you did, Glenn. So <laughs> one thing I will say that we haven't said yet. So this is really fun. I'm finding this, um, this I guess, uh, dialogue that Tilly is having with the replicator and with her coffee. Very fun. But I already have noticed something that bothered me a little bit throughout the episode, which is just the pace is a little too fast for me. I was surprised how many scenes were packed into these 15 minutes when I sat down to to take my notes. We get five scenes in 15 minutes, so uh, an average of a scene change every three minutes. And I think it's something we'll talk about as we get to the end, that we're, we're going to be critical of uh, the lack of focus on, on one theme, I think, really 
breaks the episode a little bit for me, despite how delightful it is to be watching Tilly uh, talk to the talk to the computer and drink her espresso. Uh, there are some problems with that, and and one of them is going to happen right here because this this moment, this quiet moment that's about. Tilly's in introspection and Tilly's relationship with her, her mother and career changes. We don't get a whole lot of time to sit with that because the Predator decides to crash this franchise. All of a sudden, there's an invisible monster in the galley, and it jumps down from the ceiling. Of course, this is obligatory. It's straight out of every monster movie of the last 30 (laughs) years. And this monster running around causes the food dispenser to go haywire and to shoot out basically one of everything it can make, uh, and then slowly die while repeating the word snacks over and over again, which which was a nice touch. It felt like Hal in 2001 slowly dying while it uh, does uh, Daisy, Daisy. Uh, I thought this was pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah, Glenn, what a great reference. You know, I was just mostly focused on the fact that Discovery loves its like mess hall scenes. They're really playing this up. Yeah, I don't really know what how many sets they actually have, but this is a this is a pretty nice set to use. And presumably they were filming this while the other sets were being used. The the like the important actiony parts of the ship were being used to film actual episodes of Discovery. So uh, so this is what they had. Okay, so we we have an alien. I'm gonna have a lot to say about this alien, but but Glenn, tell us a little more first. Right. Yeah. Let's get into it. So very quickly, this monster becomes visible, and it turns out. It's not a monster. It's actually just a young woman. She's Zahian. The the planet Zahia has just achieved warp capacity. And it seems, though we're never actually told this in the episode, it seems that Discovery is uh, at Zahia making first contact uh, or that is visiting Zahia shortly after first contact. Uh, and sadly, we don't ever actually get uh, an image of the, the planet here in the episode. Uh, Tilly uses the universal translator to talk with this alien woman. And, and the alien woman is pretty snarky. She says that her name is keep your human digits off me, please. It's a family <laughs> name. Again, the humor in this episode is I think top notch. Uh, the two of them go straight into a bit of a bragging match about which of them was the better engineer at age nine. Uh, but that is also largely about ice cream. It's it's pretty cute, I have to say. It is. And also, the pace really got in the way for me. If they had slowed down, I think I would have enjoyed it much more. Yeah, I can't argue with that. There's a, a lot packed into what it takes about 90 seconds of screen time. I think it took me longer to say what's going on in the scene than it actually took the scene to to do it. Uh, some 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 room for breathing, some room for uh, comprehending the, the dialogue and what all is, is being said and all the implications would have, would have been nice for sure. This has been a feature of Discovery in general, though, is packing a lot into an episode. In fact, it's, it's made it jarring when we are in the thick of discovery to go watch uh, an episode in another part of the franchise that has way more room to breathe. Uh, I call it restorative, not drawing. It's like, <laughs> oh, just that this part of TNG where nothing happens for like 10 minutes and we all just stare at each other. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. How long are these conference meetings? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just as long as they are in real life, Glenn. Yeah, it turns um, out. <laughs> you know, so, but I will say, so herein begins my problem with the alien situation. Why is she arguing about ice cream? 
there's an alien. She needs to tell someone or do something. Yeah. So we we learned that this woman's actual name is Poe and that her parents and her brother are are dead. Uh, This conversation is interrupted by the arrival of some crew members. And basically in that moment, Tilly has decided without any real dialogue about it uh, that she is not going to let anyone know that there's uh, an alien who has stowed away on board, an alien who can uh, turn invisible and uh, maybe a little monstrous and has just done something to the the food dispenser. Uh, We don't see that as a conflict at all. I think that was maybe a missed story beat there though what comes next is pretty funny poe does put her predator costume back on she disappears and so when the the crew this next shift comes in for breakfast i guess all they see is tilly standing in the middle of what appears to be the aftermath of a a serious business food fight and Naturally, as anyone would do in this situation, Tilly blames the mess on a hormonal space rabbit. Yeah, Tilly's an odd duck, and I am am enjoying her. I think I just, I'm a little incredulous that, like, the ship's sensors won't have noticed an alien on board. And I'm also, I don't, I love the humor, and I love the wit. And, and we can talk about what I think is going on between these two characters, between Tilly and Poe, that I think is really beautiful. I will get there. But she is not handling what amounts to, like, her first contact with the Zahian in any way diplomatically. She's kind of handling it like a bratty teenager. Yes, absolutely. And that felt a little, uh, a little not right to me, for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, me too. It just was so different than how we expect to have a first contact and, you know the the politeness um and uh and paperwork and proper reporting that is supposed to go with that i do think that something that is lost in this episode is all of the the backdrop to the fact that the discovery actually is orbiting this planet that uh, people are going back and forth and that therefore it might not be totally surprising for there to be one of these aliens on the ship that it's it's not just something that's come out of nowhere uh, though on my first watch, that is what I thought had happened because there was no indication that the Discovery is actually orbiting this planet. You kind of have to, to to piece that together on your own when you're asking questions like, hey, what? How is this happening? Uh, so some of that information would have been helpful uh, and would have given us a sense of why Tilly is maybe not reacting with quite so much alarm. That's helpful even for me to remember because it does get glossed over very quickly in the episode. But uh, I'm gonna. I don't let you get a little more into what's going on between these aliens, and then and then I'll get into what I think is kind of beautiful about their relationship and what I think the show is trying to do. Uh, Tilly and Poe are instantly new super best friends, and they head to Tilly's quarters to figure out what to do. Right, since Tilly's just not going to turn Poe over to like ship security or any other sensible things. Uh, Poe now tells us a little bit about the Zahians. Uh, she says that the the Zahians were born at the same time as their planet, and that because of that, they live in a natural balance with their planet, uh, which they regard as their sibling. She also says that they mine dilithium, which of course is the the mineral that makes spaceships go and is uh, of great strategic importance to the various imperial powers in Star Trek. 
So this gives us a little bit of backdrop. We're going to get more about this in literally just a few seconds. But at this point, the computer chimes in to let Tilly know that there's a galactic APB out on Poe and that, in fact, Poe is considered to be strategically critical and she must be kept alive and kept secure at all costs. And now that that information is out in the open, Poe explains a little bit more about what's actually going on here. So it turns out that she has run away from Zahia after she has built, after she has invented a dilithium recrystallizer. Okay, so the dilithium thing is very important for this little vignette, right? So the vignette is doing two things. I don't know how I feel about whether or not they go together and them being done in 15 minutes. But we have all this Tilly stuff going on that's awesome, that is about her and relationships. And then we have this canonical thing they're trying to sneak in um, about dilithium. And the thing about dilithium that's a plot point in a lot of original series episodes is that it decrystallizes over time, but you need it to make the engines go. So having something that can recrystallize or rather like stabilize dilithium is of immense strategic importance in the Star Trek universe, particularly at this point in the timeline. No, you're not running out of dilithium and you have to go look for it on alien planets, which is a plot point on TOS all the time. And of course, this is the exact plot of the one with the whales. And that's all fantastic. But this is a little bit confusing here in this episode in Runaway, because Tilly says that this invention would make Zahia the most politically relevant planet in the galaxy. And and the implication is because it means that Zahia, which has natural supplies of dilithium, which is extremely rare, must now be able to make a lot of it or something like that. But that doesn't actually, to me, seem to be the implication of this invention. This invention actually suggests that, well, now we've actually got enough dilithium because it doesn't wear out. So we don't need to mine it as much anymore, would be my sense. It might just be that Tilly maybe isn't good at thinking geostrategically, uh, (laughs) but it feels like a writing problem to me. I do think, you know what, and I said the episode's trying to do two things. I think maybe it's trying to do three things. It's a lot of things. I think this part of the plot is maybe meant to be a little bit of a commentary on um, what we're experiencing now in present day 2018 as a very serious planetary resource problem, right? There are things we're we're about to run out of, and it's not going to go super well, I don't think. So I I do believe that the, the episode is commenting on that. A little bit like what does it do to deplete a resource too quickly to a species at a certain point of their evolution is what they're going for it's it's heavy for this 15 minute delightful vignette that takes place with a food fight but what i got from it is just that this is going to make people too interested too quickly in zahia and the people aren't ready and the planet's not ready Right. Yeah, there's definitely an environmentalist message happening here, because whatever the actual specifics of this invention are, there are now people who want to ruin Zahia just so that they can have warp power. Poe doesn't want that for her planet. And so that's why she's run away. She's run away without telling anyone else how to build one of these uh, dilithium incubators, these dilithium recrystallizers. And 
it is at this point that Tilly and Poe bond about their experiences with people who just won't listen to them. But Tilly also says that she doesn't believe that the Federation would force Poe to surrender this technology or force her planet to become a massive dilithium mine, right? That the Federation treats with people equally and would not appropriate this. And of course, this is the exact plot of approximately 18% of all Star Trek episodes, right? <laughs> so Glenn, you mentioned the the one with the whales, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, the film. And, and in that film, we solve this problem. Spock and Scotty, they find a way to recrystallize dilithium. And so this is why it's not that much of a plot point in TNG, um, the way the search for dilithium is a plot point in TOS, which you know, we'll remember is 10 years after discovery, more or less. So it's still very important for the discovery related timeline. Um, But at least we know that uh, Poe's fears do not come to pass, because the Federation does not get their hand on this technology, or she successfully hides it or whatever. But what she's worried about isn't going to happen. And it's also worth saying that just because the Federation isn't going to do this, it doesn't mean any of the other, as you called them, empirical powers in the Star Trek universe aren't going to try to get it from her. And this may very well go on to be a plot point in Discovery at some point when the Federation, which is not going to steal these resources from these people, but is in a position where it is now uh, protecting Zahia from the Klingons or the Romulans who might want to do exactly that. And, you know, this conversation that they they have here at this low level, at this lower decks level, does indicate to us that all of these important geopolitical and political ideology, political philosophy uh, issues are being discussed, you know, on the upper decks or possibly even on the planet surface by uh, by by people in authority, that these negotiations are taking place right now. And here is Tilly and this random Zahian engineer having this conversation in Tilly's bedroom uh, while they still have, you know, ice cream on their clothes. But that's going to that's gonna lead us straight into the, the final scene. Poe realizes through her conversation with Tilly that she has to go home, that she can't just hide out on the Discovery. And so they go to the transporter room And here is where we learn, in fact, that Poe is not actually just some random Zahian who happens to be a good engineer. We learn, in fact, that she is tomorrow going to be crowned the queen of her planet. Poe then gives Tilly a dilithium crystal from Zahia as a sort of thank you gift for listening to her. And she tells Tilly that she knows that she'll be a great commander. And then Poe beams home. And that's the uh, end of the episode. The the whole, oops, she's the queen thing felt a little like, okay, to me. Um, I was a little eye-rolly, and maybe that's me just being cynical. But what I do think is potentially really cool is maybe we're going to get an episode later, um, or maybe we'll get, you know, a film or something where Tilly, Tilly the captain does all this amazing work with the Zahians because she has this, like, political in with the queen. <laughs> right. Well, it's like Picard has this 
political in with the Klingon Empire because he has this personal relationship with uh, Chancellor Gowron. And that's a huge uh, part of the many episodes of TNG and is a big part of why Captain Picard is is so important and such and regarded to be such a great diplomat. So, yes, I could see, you know, 10 years from now, uh, a Tilly spinoff show or something where this relationship is important. I think that would be very cool. That is, though, I think the only thing about this that is cool, because I do think otherwise, this is a detail that just gets in the way of the rest of the episode. Poe here in this scene has a bit of a, a monologue about why she hid that fact from Tilly. It's because as soon as people find out she's royalty, they treat her differently. That is possibly an interesting character arc. But if they wanted to make the show about that, they should have made the show about that. It's just a throwaway line here. All the business with her parents having died and her brother having died, which all seem to have happened recently, are there just to serve this revelation moment where we go, oh, cool, Tilly was talking to the head of state the whole time. But we don't ever actually really explore that about her. And so I think that should have just been left out of the story that we should have just had Poe as being this engineer, or we should have just known right away that she was the the princess or the, you know, crown prince or the 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 queen or or whatever they want whatever title they want to give her. We should have known that up front. I think this was a, a writing misstep. It's also the plot to a lot of really bad rom coms. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so or it's like, well you wouldn't really love me if you knew I was the prince. You thought I was the limo driver the whole time. So <laughs> I would have watched that show. I would have watched that episode. <laughs> Um, or where Poe is the limo driver. Yeah, I'd watch that too. Um, but yeah, it was, they, I think they've got in their own way by trying to put too much into this 15 minutes. Um, uh, I agree with that assessment, but I do think that what they're trying to do is pretty cool. I think there are a lot of ways it could have been more effective, but I think at the core of this episode, we have two young women who have these opportunities to be empowered, right? Tilly is in this command training program. Um, Poe is having this rulership kind of thrust upon her earlier uh, than she maybe thought it would be. And they're struggling with their insecurities. They're struggling with, you know, can I do this? Is this the right time? Am I capable? And through a, a female bond through bonding through this experience they both become stronger and can return to their endeavors more capable and this really does tie in with the finale of the first season of discovery which is very cool ladies doing stuff focused right that's that is the emotional crux of this episode and of course, it is this this line about how they you know they when they bond over their experiences with people not listening to them when they talk. For Tilly, this is literally about the conversation she just had with her mother, who's just not listening to her, who just wants to talk about how awesome her stepsister is. And here for Poe, it is presumably it seems to be that she's about to be in charge down there on this planet, but that because she is young and because she wasn't expected to rule, that was supposed to be her brother's job. Her subordinates, her lackeys, her advisors are not listening to her, that they have their own agenda for Zahia that is not what she wants. 
And she has run away from this problem rather than face it. And because they're able to bond over that, Poe is able to go back to Zahia and assert herself. And of course, we should say that that Tilly's approach to this whole situation is her making a command decision. We made light of the fact that she doesn't report Poe, doesn't tell security that this is going on, doesn't alert anyone to it. But that is a command decision that she's made that we see actually pan out here in the end. I just wish that the episode had been more explicit that that's what is going on, that it didn't need this type of conversation to to draw that out. All of that could have happened if some of these gimmicky things had been left out of the episode, and we'd actually just had them have this conversation that we've just had. <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree. I but it does feel really important to mention, you know, this is a 15 minute vignette starring exclusively like with the exception of a replicator and a hormonal space rabbit two women talking about not being heard and providing support to one another in their future endeavors. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And you know, Glenn, I think that's a pretty nice place to end. We, I think we had a great review of what was really good about this vignette, some of the things we think could have been better, especially from a storytelling perspective. But now that we've done that, I think we need a cocktail about it. Yeah, we sure do. And I'm proud of myself for having graduated from being a one-trick horse, uh, but I am still only a two-trick horse. So while this, <laughs> while this cocktail is not named after the episode, uh, I have, of course, zoomed in on the fact that there is a character consuming a beverage in this episode. Yep. Yep. And, so, and, so, and so I have turned that into a drink. Uh, I am not going to call this the quadruple espresso with milk alternative, though I am going to call it the hormonal space rabbit, uh, <laughs> because how could you not? Uh, but I have made a, uh, a coffee liqueur drink. And basically what I've done is uh, make a coffee variant of a brandy Alexander, which is normally a, a chocolate drink drink. And so we have one ounce of Armagnac, though you could use any type of brandy that fits your fancy, one ounce of cream, and then one ounce of uh, a coffee liqueur. Again, there's a lot of options there. I used uh, Trader Vic's Kona liqueur, which I think is uh, really great. It does taste like a really nice cup of dark coffee. Uh, you shake that all over ice, uh, pour, it into, uh, pour it into a chilled glass, and it is a, a very nice after dinner, really after dessert drink that should help you overcome the rough conversation you just had with your mother or whoever else that might be and uh, and refocus and recenter so you can go and be uh, the best the best Starfleet officer you can be. So Glenn, do you think that you can make this cocktail with milk alternative? Yes, you absolutely could. Uh, I did not try it with a milk alternative, though we usually have almond milk in our fridge, but you, you definitely could. You'll lose some of the thickness you know, that you get from using heavy cream, some of the, the viscosity, but yes, it can absolutely be made with milk alternative. I bet a nice thick kind of coconut cream could could take this drink pretty far, but into a different flavor realm for sure. You know... I think you really missed a naming opportunity to call the cocktail ill-advised, but I did I consider out, it. <laughs> but I hold out hope that anytime anyone orders this, that has to be your response. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I put this in our application to become the bartenders on Discovery. It's, it has to be why we, our application was accepted. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'm a little upset you went behind my back, but it's for the greater good. 
Well, I think now that we are making future career plans, that's going to do it for this episode. I'm Glenn McDorman. And I'm Valerie Hoagland. And as always, you can find us and our other creative projects at claytemplemedia.com. Come on over to the Clay Temple forums and let us know what you think I should have called this drink or anything else that you thought about regarding this episode. We'll be excited for the forums to become active again now that Discovery is back-ish on the air. While we're waiting for the next short trek, which is first week of November, stay spacey.